Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First, where I interview thought leaders and industry leaders to understand what it takes to be a successful leader and colleague in the 21st century. This week, my guest is Lauren M. Scott, who is the Chief Strategy Officer of the International Fresh Produce Association. It's the largest and most diverse trade association serving the entire fresh fresh produce and floral supply chain. And as I had my first bag of cherries this morning, Lauren, for you and everybody else involved, I thank you. Lauren is a believer in continuous education and development and has held a variety of leadership roles at PepsiCo, Colgate-Palmolive and Diageo. Her civic passions include combating food insecurities and perpetuating the arts and culture. So Lauren, welcome to People First. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. But as ever, I start each episode with the foundational question. So when you go back to when you were a wee girl at uh, elementary school and the teacher says, Lauren, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer? It's funny. I haven't thought about this question in decades. It seems like when you're going through school, you always ask, well, what did you want to be when you grow up? I would say when I was very young, I wanted to be a doctor. But reflecting on that, I realized I, I had no idea what that meant in trying to psychoanalyze it in reverse, I think it was a person of great authority and great care and great knowledge. And I had uh, a very wonderful Dr. Curtis, wherever you are, he was my pediatrician growing up and he was so nice. So I think that he was very very influential in um, what I wanted to be. When I got older, I, I said, I want, I would always wanted to be a a professional dancer. Um, I, I took mm-hmm. tap and jazz and, and things. And, and I think it's the show, but it wasn't practical enough. I said, you know, I, I need, I need stability, but my, my heart, if I could do anything, it would have, it would have been um, that. And I think that that's the connective tissue to what I do today. So I laugh because what you can't see is off stage right here is I have a whole closet full of sequins and sparkly dresses because ah. I, Pre-pandemic, I was a ballroom dancer. So listening to tap, I remember I go back to the village hall in, um, where was that? That would have been in Tattingstone back in England. But at the age of four, learning to do tap dance, I never got beyond that at four. So you you do a mean soft shoe shuffle and stuff. Oh, let me tell you, I started taking uh, tap lessons again after I had my son at the Y uh, up in uh, New York. And it's great. And what's great about tap is that it's in your feet. You really don't forget it. And it's not so physically demanding like ballet or something that is mm-hmm. prohibitive. So, and it's, it's very rhythmic, which is also why I like it. Uh, okay, so when we get to questions about music and what makes your foot want to tap, I'm sure you're going to have an answer. All right, sure so will. not a doctor, not a professional dancer, but you obviously love the arts and culture. So tell me about your career arc that brought you then to being chief strategy officer. It started when I was getting out of high school. I had an opportunity to get an internship with the Inroads program. And it, the intention was for people to get exposure, uh, minorities to get exposure to corporate America. And um, it, there's no reason why I should have gotten that job, I should tell you. When I went to the interview, I locked my keys in the car, and it was a sales job where you had to drive and from location to location. So if I couldn't even 
not lock my keys in the car. I couldn't imagine that they would give me the job. Um, but I found out later, and this is a theme that we'll probably touch on through this conversation, is this um, feedback in reverse or kind of hearing the narrative of after the fact or hearing what people say about you when you're not there. Yeah. I found out uh, I had that internship at Colgate for four years, and the woman who was the executive director said, well, did I ever tell you how you got this job? And of course, I said to her, well, I'm surprised I got the job because I locked the keys in the car. But she said, the reason you got the job is because, and it was a merchandising job. And at the time, I, I remember the moment we were merchandising palm olive dish soap onto the shelf. And at the time, you would drive to the stores and you would pull it out back. She mm -hmm. said it was between you and another gentleman. She said, you helped the woman. I remember her name, Leslie Shue, wherever you are. Hello. You helped her. <laughs> put the palm olive on the shelf and the other gentleman just watched her. And that's why you got the job. And that was a great lesson for me that yeah. if you are who you are and then where you're supposed to be will naturally follow you. But I will never forget that, that lesson. And Leslie, wherever you are. I mean, I love that. I mean, it goes to the heart of everything that we do at Sky Team and the importance of relationships Everybody, no matter what their role, has something to contribute. And when we look out for each other and do those little things to make life and work lighter for others, like helping to load the shelves, it builds a connection that can transform lives and, and relationships and careers, as you've just said there. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. I love that. So that was one of the upsides. It, was, it seems like it was intuitive to you to be of service to others. So how would you describe your leadership style and philosophy? It's probably almost to a fault of, you know, when you do those different tests and they say, where's your towering strength? It's always the mm -hmm. people is the, is the towering strength. My dad was a social worker. I think it's, it's just ingrained in, in our genes to truly care about uh, people. And, and it's truly people first and caring about people and who they are and what they want um, is, is the core of my leadership style. The other core of my leadership style is around results um, and getting results. And the, the places that I've worked, particularly at PepsiCo, is one of the, the, the best organizations in the world about having great vision and great clarity and having great people and developing them to achieve those results. So that's mm -hmm. my philosophy and leadership is to, is to believe that when people have the opportunity and they have the clarity and they have the resources that they truly can do great things. And I believe that wholeheartedly. Okay. So I have a bonus question. That's all connected. As I listened to you talk there about vision and developing people, I had a flashback to earlier in my career where I was given the feedback, you need to be more strategic. So two questions coming at you here, Lawrence, as you have the title Chief Strategy Officer, help me understand what does that mean? What do you do? And then for somebody who may be in a similar position to me, where they're being told that they need to be more strategic, what's one tip or piece of advice that you have for how can we show up and demonstrate our strategic awareness? So what is it and how can we do it? If you would have asked me 15 years ago, would I ever be the chief strategy officer of anything, let alone like my house, let alone a global <laughs> association, the answer would have been no. Mm -hmm. 
because I too was told you need to be more strategic. Hmm. And so this is an inflection point. The things that you, that the things that you focus on, you actually can start to be very good at, even if it's not your towering strength. So as I talked about before, I had naturally the people side was very strong. I never, I never really struggled in, in EQ or learning and development or management that came very naturally, but the, the business acumen and the, and the strategy piece was something that I had to, had to learn. So first you have to recognize that in order to, to go to where you want to go and again, go to the next step, this is, these are the building blocks of what I need. So first it was recognizing that. Second, it's about getting the development. You, you mentioned in my uh, bio about continuous improvement and development. I believe in that very strongly to, to be proactive and to get the learning. So going to get an MBA or going to, to get a degree in communication, strategic communications helped me to work that muscle. But then mm -hmm. also fighting for opportunities to continue in that development. There, there was a point, again, you're not strategic, you get an opportunity so you could work on your strategy, but it's, it's the job where I'm now, I'm not the towering strength, I'm learning, but I needed that job. And at one point they wanted to move me back to something that was more natural. And I said, absolutely not. I am not leaving the seat. And it was mm -hmm. a job I didn't even want, but I knew it was the job that I need. I need it. And thank God I did, because that's what helped me to get to this, this point. So to, to sum it up, recognize the skills that you need, go out and actively get the education, work it at a job, find the people that are good at it and do it. And it, and it can then become your strength. And if you just, and it took a long time for me to truly intuitively understand what mm -hmm. does the job, mean. but then once you get it, it's very, it's very clear. And the good news is at this point, I'm old enough now that things history repeats itself. So it, it, it has become intuitive. It reminds me of when I was learning to dance, I was thinking, how hard can this be? I've only got two feet. And it was like, I had six left feet, but I still remember that moment where it all, to your point, it falls into place and it feels effortless. And then there'll be a new step or a move that kind of catches you unawares. And what I'm hearing in your career arc journey and learning, it's moving out of your comfort zone and being willing to be the beginner and knowing that it will become effortless if you put in the time to learn and grow along the way. Absolutely. That was so eloquently said. And, and you have to do that constantly. You, you, yeah. Because otherwise you get stale and things are changing so rapidly, especially with technology and forget, you know, forget about the pandemic. I mean, that, that's like a massive understatement. But having that orientation of, of not settling for yourself and continuing to grow is important. So there were a couple of thoughts that came to mind as I was listening to you there. You talked about when you said, heck no, I'm staying in this job, I'm not moving. That must have taken courage and vulnerability to say no to the powers that be that had decided that you were moving elsewhere. So tell me a little bit about that. And where does that courage and vulnerability come from to actually say no and stay put? You know, I never thought about it as courage and vulnerability, but you're absolutely right. And again, it just as if you had said I wasn't strategic, I would certainly not say that I was someone who would have courage, but I knew I was right. And I had conviction and principles and honesty are very important to me. So because I was so clear 
on what I wanted to do and why I was there. And I was so clear on what the organization said that they believed. It was in those two things were incongruent. If this is what I need and this is what you value, then if you moving me over there on principle is not right. And I was able to stand on mm. that to have um, speak truth to power. I think the other thing is that when you want to speak that truth to power, it has to be grounded in something foundational and not emotional. So mm -hmm. if it's like, oh, I don't want to do this, or I, the soup's cold on Thursday, and I don't want, you know, nobody cares about that, particularly when it, you're in a business. But if you, if you go to the fundamentals of what's the objective, both for the organization and, and myself, and how do those two things align, and how is this ultimately in the best interest of the organization through my development? or through whatever the situation is, I think that's how you can speak, be candid and be vulnerable and also um, penetrate. Because I think a lot of times people say, I'm saying something and nobody's listening or nobody's mm -hmm. hearing, but they're probably saying the wrong thing. The spirit mm -hmm. is right, but the clarity is not, is not there. Okay, look for the clarity. So I'm going to pick up this a little bit more then. So you got to stay, you got to grow those skills. But what are the leadership lessons you've had to learn the hard way? You you have to probe um, and and listen and take the time to to push through what's really going on. And I mean, the good news is that I didn't have any kind of disaster, um, but you do need to speak up. And so I culturally, uh, the way I grew up, you know, you have this corporate job. It's like everyone's dream. My parents were, my mom was a teacher. My dad's a social worker. My grandparents only had the opportunity to go to fourth grade. So here I am in this corporate environment and you're in the orientation. Is, wow. Okay, well, you don't want to mess this thing up. You know, don't, don't make waves. And put your head down, do your work, work hard, and you'll be fine. But the truth is, as a leader, that does not work. Mm -hmm. Because as a leader, you need to recognize and be visible and vocal and inspire change. And if you're sitting back and you're watching, and it, again, I have the high EQ, so I could see the train wreck. You know, I could tell what was going to happen, but I wouldn't say anything and I wouldn't speak up because I felt it wasn't my place. And, and that was a lesson that I had to learn uh, the hard way. And it was a very valuable lesson to learn to, and it actually was freeing to mm -hmm. be able to, to speak the truth that I saw and know that the world was not going to come to an end and there weren't going to be any consequences. It was important for not only myself, but also the organization. So it's interesting because candor and debate is the fourth element of the ally mindset profile that uh, we'll be showcasing in our new book, You, Me, We. And so you talk there about having the emotional intelligence to know and speak the truth to power. So there's two sides to that coin. There is a speaking the truth and being able to hear it. So as a leader, how do you create that psychological safety so that others can speak truth to you? I think first is, like you said, creating that environment and setting the expectation that I do want to hear the truth. I do want to know what's going on. And it's not a, a got you. I, I really do want mm -hmm. to understand. So that's the first thing. The, the second thing is recognizing that truth and candor are not only reserved for bad news. 
that mm-hmm. you need to practice with your teams. How are we going to be true and honest with ourselves, not only with team dynamics, but even with the work. If we're looking at a piece of work or we're exploring what are the possibilities or what innovation can be, if people don't feel like they can have that truth and candor and you're just there and you're talking and everybody's nodding, that's it's a it, incredibly expensive waste of time. You're not going to be able to push the ideas and you're not going to be able to innovate. So creating that environment and having people get excited that, okay, I said this and now I can see where the idea is going and people are building on it and it sets that standard. Then if something happens where, okay, you know, there is something that's going wrong or somebody has to say something, people are going to be nervous enough to even say that. You don't want them to think that, how I need to do this isn't going to land. Or to what we were talking about earlier, if people are beating around the bush and aren't clear and articulating what's happening, people can't do anything. Mm -hmm. So as a leader, I believe it's very important both for creativity, but also so how we can mitigate issues from becoming bigger issues is encouraging that truth and candor, both for people to give it to you, but also for you to share it in return. Mm-hmm. You talked about the feedback that you got about not being strategic. It probably took the person who told you that probably waited, you know, three, four months before they got the gumption to, to give you that feedback, but it's, but it's critical and we need to not let things wait and build up to become a boulder before in either direction, either as a leader of a team or as a teammate to give that feedback and have that truth and candor so people can can do something with it. It's easier to deal with a lot of pebbles than big boulders. Yeah. So, I mean, the the association, it's global. It's key to me getting my cherries this morning, along with a million other products around the world. So I'm curious with the pandemic, you mentioned it earlier, it didn't just turn our worlds upside down, it gave it a damn good shake. And when it came to supply chain, gave it a boot down the street too. So how have you had to change how you show up as a leader for your association and your association members? And how have you maintained a sense of connection and candor when we're now working more often than not remotely? It, I, I'll, uh, first off, thank you for your purchase of cherries. Uh, the, the members <laughs> of the association and I appreciate it. Uh, each, each consumption of fruits and vegetables and buy flowers. That's the official plug. Um, but it was, it, it's, it's really interesting um, because as you work in a job, particularly in a, in a job like an association where there are members and that you do a lot of work, you do a lot of activities and you connect with the members quite often. And it's usually very positive mm-hmm. and up- upbeat. You, you start to think, okay, I hope that we're really helping people here because that's our remit. And then the pandemic hits. And like you said, everything, I mean, it just, mm-hmm. I mean, it blew up and the phone just was blowing up of people just in, in utter panic. I mean, true panic mm-hmm. of trucks not being able to move and product getting lost and, and, and all of those things. And it, and it was real. So what you learn as a being a leader in the pandemic is to, is to step back and truly listen and hear and take the time to hear and listen and ask the questions to understand, to first meet people where they are and connect with them at an emotional level whatever that may be, wherever that may be, and then try to figure out, well, what are the things short-term and long-term that we can actually do to help? 
So mm-hmm. I think the, the key thing with the pandemic is, is it's almost like I think of it like COVID, how they have, okay, you have COVID and then you have long COVID. It seems like it, there's some an, an analogy with teams and leadership right now. There's the, what is the, what's the thing that's burning right now that because there's so much disruption that we have to address, but then also recognizing what systemically happened that's going to have a long-term effect Mm-hmm. that we have to figure out how to solve. And that's the same for whether it's the members or people within the team, but recognizing the the short-term fixes aren't there as much as they used to be. Uh, many people aren't in the offices like they used to. I mean, the, the good mm-hmm. news is that now that we're a lot of us are working remotely, we have an opportunity to attract talent from anywhere around the country, but that requires a different level of, of connection uh, with people. And again, putting the time in early before it becomes an emergency, similar to the, the answer I said in the other question, is so important. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the members did call us shows that we put that time in, but it, it's requiring us to to listen more and to think short-term and long-term more and to stick to it. It's not, okay, it's not like it's a one-time event and then it's it's over. This has been going on for years and probably will continue to go on for years. Yeah, it it certainly has influenced our attitude to where, how and what work is and how um, and where we build relationships either through the camera or in three dimensions where we are able to. And I was reading today about mass mandates starting to come back in some of the cities in the US. And so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, so you talked earlier about the, the learning journey and the fact that you are passionate about continuous education. So I'm curious, in terms of leadership skills, what are you currently learning and flexing? Learning and flexing that every, I'm naturally a problem solver and learning that problems aren't necessarily solved as quickly as you think they can be. It's it's not a, a quick fix, but there's usually multiple levels that have to be addressed. The second thing is recognizing that some problems I can't help fix or resolve or the organization can't fix or resolve or society can't even fix and and resolve. That people and lives have changed fundamentally and people are reevaluating their values and what things are most important to them and recognizing that that there's a bigger thing that's going on besides just the work that's on people's desks and to, to try to use the right amount of energy and the right amount of candor and truth to help people in the organization as we navigate, as we navigate forward. Thank you. All right. So last question, as we come to the end of our time together, one piece of advice for those who may be earlier in their career than you and I, What's one piece of advice you have for them or you wish you'd had earlier in your career? Take the job that you really don't want because that's the job that you're going to stretch and grow and develop. And I guarantee you, you're going to look back and say, thank God I took that blank job because it gave me a different perspective. It gave me different experiences and I'm grateful for that. Okay, Lauren. Chief Strategy Officer for the International Fresh Produce Association. Thank you for sharing a little bit of your learning journey to date uh, with all of us here on People First. Thank you so much. 
Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything, before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.